Well, howdy, Huda Thunkers. This is the host of the Huda Thunk It podcast. It's Zeb coming at you with episode 154, titled EMDR. What is EMDR? We'll talk about that in a minute. Before, I want to do the recommendation segment where I recommend something to you that I have done myself or have been interested in myself in doing so. This week, I recommend you check out the YouTube channel Brian Lagerstrom. That's L-A-G-E-R-S-T-R-O-M. Well, I guess I should spell Brian, too, because it's spelled a bunch of ways. Anyway, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, Lagerstrom, L-A-G-E-R-S-T-R-O-M. His YouTube channel is just his first and last name, so that's what you'd look up to check it out. Brian is a charming dude who makes common foods with a totally from-scratch attitude, and he starts every every video that I've seen so far with, Hey, what's up? And it's like half a second long. <laughs> it's super quick. He just puts up the peace sign and goes, Hey, what's up? And then he starts doing a recipe. He's cool. I, I like the cadence. I like the way he makes the food. It's cool. For uh, like his from scratch attitude is totally from scratch. If it's possible to make it home, he's going to do it. For example, Shannon and I recreated one of his videos where he made an adult version of PB&J. He calls it adult version because it's basically, you know, you go out of your way to make it more um, good. It's not, it's not like sexual or violent content like you'd say adult version or anything like that he says adult version because you know we're adults put in the effort it's worth it it's good to make things from scratch we baked uh, the bread for this pb and j we made the jam and processed the peanuts into peanut butter and it was delicious it was a, a lot more work than you'd normally put into a pb and j so we don't do it for every pb and j but we discovered things making your own jam is really good lots of sugar goes into it but it's a less preservatives and stuff making your own peanut butter hands down always better than than buying store-bought peanut butter. I love Jif. Jif is great peanut butter, don't get me wrong. But it's sugary as hell, and they have a bunch of other stuff in it. If you just buy some peanuts, roast them in the oven for like 30 minutes, throw them into a blender for like 8 minutes, delicious. I believe I may have mentioned this before on this podcast, if not here, definitely on my social media accounts. But anyway, now we're getting into a bunch of other videos. That was just one video we watched. I'd never seen this YouTube guy before. Now I'm seeing a bunch of other ones, like an adult version of grilled cheese where he makes his own tomato soup and sandwich bread and butter. Sorry, I'm hiccuping. I haven't eaten in a while. I just realized I'm hungry and I, I hiccup when I'm really hungry. Anyway, check out Brian Lagerstrom. Make some of those home scratch, from scratch recipes. It was super fun for Shannon and I to do. One to do another one. We will soon. So let you know about that. Now for the main event, this episode about EMDR was created with much less script than usual because... I live with an expert on EMDR, and I figured her raw responses would be better than research reports from me who doesn't know what I was talking about. Shannon, my wife, is trained in EMDR and is really liking it, so we're going to talk to her in a little bit. She's not home yet, so I thought I'd uh, just sort of read off some of the explanations of what EMDR is. Um, it stands for Eye Movement Desensitiz Desensitization and Reprocessing Therapy. It was initially developed in 1987 for the treatment of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and the guided adaptive information processing model. Unlike other treatments that focus directly on altering emotions and thoughts and like changing what is in there, resulting from traumatic experiences, EMDR therapy focused directly on the memory and it's intended and is intended to change the way that that memory is stored in the brain. So it doesn't want you to I don't know. It just gets people to relive it, but in a safe place. That's the way Shannon's been explaining to me. Thus reducing and eliminating the problematic symptoms. This, oh, by the way, sorry, I didn't say this to begin with. I'm reading this from the American Psychological Association website, APA.org. That's what they're saying about EMDR. And I'm paraphrasing some things. 
During EMDR therapy, clinical observations suggest that an, an accelerated learning process is stimulated by EMDR's standardized procedures, which incorporate the use of eye movements and other forms of rhythmic left-right bilateral stimulation, tones or taps, while clients briefly focus on the trauma memory and simultaneously experience uh, bilateral stimulation, BLS, the vividness and emotion of the memory are reduced. So the, the I guess, sounds like the, the jagged edges of memories that seem to hurt us and emotionally years after, you know, after, even after they've happened, seem to be reduced while they relive it. The treatment is conditionally recommended for the treatment of PTSD. So that's what American Psychological Association says. I also went to the EMDR.com website. I didn't want to just take from EMDR.com website. Um, from what I've heard about EMDR from Shannon, it's you want a couple of different opinions on it. And um, I didn't want to just take it from the source. So I wanted to know what APA said as well. EMDR is psychotherapy that enables people to heal from the symptoms and emotional distress that are a result of disturbing life experiences. This is from EMDR.com's the for lay people version there was there was a, a shorter paragraph much bigger words for clinicians <laughs> this is the one for dummies like me to read so it um he it helps people heal from symptoms and emotional distress that are the result of disturbing life experiences repeated studies show that by using emdr therapy people can experience the benefits of psychotherapy that once took years to make a difference it is widely assumed that severe emotional pain requires a long time to heal emdr therapy shows that the mind can, in fact, heal from psychological trauma much as the body recovers from physical trauma. When you cut your hand, your body works to close the wound. If a foreign object or a repeated injury irritates the wound, it festers and causes pain. Once the block is removed, healing resumes. EMDR therapy demonstrates that a similar sequence of events occurs with mental processes. The brain's information processing system naturally moves toward mental health. If the system is blocked or imbalanced by the impact of a disturbing event, the emotional wound festers and can cause intense suffering. Once the block is removed, healing resumes. Using the detailed protocols and procedures learned in EMDR therapy training sessions, which my wife has been to, she's trained on it, clinicians help clients activate their natural healing processes. More than 30 positive controlled outcome studies have been done on EMDR therapy. Some of the studies show that 84 to 90 percent of single trauma victims no longer have post-traumatic stress disorder after only three 90-minute sessions. So that's quite the claim. 84 is the low number. 84% to 90% of single trauma victims no longer have post-traumatic stress disorder after only three 90-minute sessions. To me, those numbers are so high that I question it. And my wife is into it, and I don't... I try to be very respectful, but I'm like... There's got to be something going on here. It's, those, those numbers are so high. I mean, I work in mental health, but only in the insurance side. I'm not a mental health professional. Don't take any mental health advice from me because it's definitely not a professional piece of advice. But what I'm saying is I've learned that those numbers, therapy takes a long ass time and it doesn't always work. And, and it, it works for some people and you have to try different therapists and it's a long process. This is saying three 90 minute sessions, 90% effective. What? That's why I want to question. That's why I want to have an episode. That's why I want to talk to my wife about it. She'll be home in a couple hours, and and but for you, it'll be an instantaneously when I once I shut up, she'll she'll be on here. Um, but yeah, I just thought this was interesting. And work's been really crazy. I didn't feel like typing out a whole episode. I thought let me just ask Shannon if she can do a quick EMDR episode. She loves talking about it, so I'm assuming she will. Um, my grandmother, my nan, was like, "What's going on with Shannon?" 
then she's like i heard she's got something going on with work i'm like you talk to her they talked around to how long my nan loved it it's very interesting stuff i thought another study found or funded by the hmo kaiser uh Permen permanente found that 100 of the single trauma victims and 70 percent of multiple trauma victims no longer were diagnosed with ptsd after only uh six 50 minute sessions so you have different statistics coming at you it's crazy millions of people have been treated successfully over the past 33 years so it's been around a couple decades which i only started hearing about emdr in like the last maybe five years well i guess since i had this job in the mental health field emdr therapy is an eight phase treatment eye movements or other bilateral stimulation are used to during the part of the session after the clinician has determined which memory to target first he asks the client to hold different aspects of the event or thought in mind and to use his eyes to track the therapist's hand as it moves back and forth across the client's field of vision. Interesting. I'm reading straight from emdr.com. <laughs> I like how it says the clinician. What did it say? After the clinician has determined which memory of tar to target first, he asked the client like he or she. <laughs> I've come to find there are plenty, plenty of therapists that are female, if not more female than male. And mental health you'll find that there's a lot more females working in it so that's interesting that they just said he asks the client to hold the uh, if my wife was reading that she'd be like what the heck <laughs> but anyway moving on i'm not gonna i'm not gonna fixate on it as this happened okay <laughs> to track the therapist's hands as it moves back and forth across the client's field of vision so track the hands as this happens for reasons delivered believed by a harvard researcher to be connected with the biological mechanisms involved in rapid eye movement, REM, sleep, internal associations arise, and the client begins to process the memory and disturbing feelings in successful EMDR therapy. The meaning of painful events is transformed into an emotional level. For instance, uh, trigger word here for some people. Some people this word does, I think they've walked it from all social media. But for instance, a rape victim shifts from feeling horror and self-disgust to holding that firm belief that I survived it and I am strong. Unlike talk therapy, the insights clients gain in EMDR therapy result not so much from clinician interpretation, but from the client's own accelerated intellectual and emotional processes. So that's a big thing that Shannon keeps telling me. What's a big difference from all the other therapy is like, they're not, this isn't something where the therapist tells you what to feel or, hey, maybe we should interpret it this way. I've watched a couple videos of my wife and they don't say hardly anything. They just say, I'm here with you. Go with it. Let's do that. It's not like, wow, that's a lot. They don't even say like, uh, it's, it's crazy how little amount of like verbal communication goes on between clinician and client. Weird. So that's a big part of this. Shannon's going to talk about that. I know for sure. Not so much of the, not so much of the clinician interpretation, but from the client's own accelerated intellectual and emotional processes. The net effect is that clients conclude EMDR therapy feeling empowered by the very experiences that once debased them, their wounds <clears throat> have not, excuse me, I cleared my throat right in the mic. Sorry about that. Their wounds have not just closed, they have transformed. As a natural outcome of the EMDR, EMDR therapeutic process, the client's thoughts, feelings, and behavior are all robust indicators of emotional health and resolution, all without speaking in detail or doing homework used in other therapies. So it's easier on the clinician. Shannon says it's a lot less burnout using EMDR than other specialties. And um, I don't know. I'm a big fan. I'm her husband. I don't want her to burn out as quickly. And I have noticed some differences and she's super excited about it. So I thought, let's get her on here. What do you say?
And we're back. I'm here with my lovely wife, Shannon. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Zeb. <laughs> okay. I have a couple questions for you about EMDR. So I read a brief overview to the Huda Thungers about what EMDR is, um, read off of the American Psychological Association's definition and EMDR.com. But I have some questions for you, someone who practices it, someone who trained in it, someone who learned it, knows what they're doing. Um, you know, what drew you to EMDR? Why that specifically? Uh yeah. So in terms of doing EMDR, it was something that was suggested by my boss um, and one of my old mentors when I worked at the psychiatric hospital for children. Um, so one, it was recommended. And two, uh, I saw a lot of kids that came through the door at the hospital that uh, continued to come back. We called them revolving door kids, um, or repeat offenders. Um, and what I noticed is that they were having the same issues and the same concerns and that regular talk therapy, cognitive behavioral, dialectical behavioral, none of that was really doing the trick. Um, and pretty much every kid that was hitting the door had some kind of trauma or something that likely could have been completed and reprocessed with EMDR. Um, so one, like I said, it was recommended by a couple of my mentors and my bosses. Two, I feel as though it's a very effective treatment um, and would really save a lot of people a lot of hassle and, and mental health concerns. You mentioned some other specializations. You say CBT and stuff like that. Yeah. So cognitive behavioral therapy is CBT. It's changing and restructuring thoughts. Um, and then dialectical behavioral therapy uh, is usually used for people uh, that have difficulty regulating their emotions um, and can be especially helpful when dealing with like a personality disorder. Well, that's interesting. What what have you noticed about EMDR? I know you've had, you know, what, half the training already? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're able to practice it. What what sticks out about EMDR in general to you um, as opposed to other specializations? What what drew you to it? So in terms of what sticks out regarding EMDR, I've had some clients in therapy for a couple of years and um, sometimes it feels like we're stuck or we're not moving in the right direction. Um, but with EMDR, you can quickly reprocess trauma and keep trauma reprocessed without having to dig into the wounds or having to kind of reopen that and have that person retell their story every single time that they start with a new therapist. Um, so I might be able to just ask them for specific images or specific memories that stick in the mind. Um, and so, for example, I don't need to know the details of a sexual assault. I could just know that it was sexual assault and then we can reprocess the the traumatic memories and the feelings and the um, cognitions that go with that. And it's very quick and effective. It's interesting you use the uh, wound analogy. When I was reading EMDR.com's definition, they talked about that. It's like having um, a, a wound and then when you let outside things like, I guess, in this analogy, trauma or, you know, in the analogy of a wound like like gravel or something, the wound festers and it gets it gets ugly. It gets worse. But they the analogy the EMDR.com made was when you take that that outside source away from the wound, you allow it to heal. And they said that, you know, the, the mind wants to go towards mental health, you know, it wants to improve its own mental health and wants to heal itself, but it needs things like trauma to be removed from the wound to heal. So that was interesting. I'm, I, I, without me even prompting you, I didn't show you that you just brought up the wound analogy. I like that. Mm -hmm. And 
Uh, one thing that I, I've seen to be is, uh, what, fixating on is that EMDR to me, it's because I, I, I'm not trained in, I'm not educated, I'm not a mental health professional. To me, it seems a bit, I don't know, mystical. And, <laughs> and at one point you did say, well, some people do refer to it as a quote unquote woo science or a woo mental health or a woo treatment. Basically, what did you mean by that when you told me that the one time? Uh, so when I was in grad school, EMDR therapy was in the very back of our book, um, basically saying like, hey, these are all of the kind of eclectic therapies that don't really have a lot of research and that are kind of very, the best word I can use to describe it is like a hippie therapy. So like essential oils and meditation and blah, blah, blah. But it, it's not that. It's very scientific. If you go to uh, the website, E-M-D-R-I-A, I believe it's .org, so mdria.org, that is actually has all kinds of information about the science behind EMDR. There's all kinds of libraries and records. But basically like when you're doing EMDR, we're using eye movement and we're having people follow our eyes with their fingers um, and people go like, wow, I can heal trauma by doing that? No. It seems very kind of skeptical and a lot of people are very kind of skeptical about EMDR, but I've experienced EMDR. I'm doing EMDR. I'm telling you that it works and there's science that backs it. I do think that the reputation is starting to change, but there are still a lot of therapists out there when you mention EMDR that go like, hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm just very skeptical that we can actually heal these wounds and they can stay healed. Um, so it is kind of up and I mean, it absolutely is up and coming, um, but people still are very skeptical about it. Yes. And I did mention that EMDR first came out in 19, what I say, 1987, something like that. It's been around for, you know, a little over three decades um, but I think in the, in the realm of science, a lot of things that is very young. That's not, it sounds like it's been around for a long time. You know, if a movie was 30 some years old, it would seem like it was around forever. But when it comes to science, it has to be fleshed out. But you did mention, so when I gave the brief overview, I didn't say about fingers and, you know, different. So talk to him about that, the bilateral, you mentioned, Hey, um, you gave an example of moving their fingers can, you know, save their trauma. Give me just if you were just to describe what it looks like, just imagine someone's on the outside, the third person. He's not the client, not the clinician. He or she's not the either one. They just want to know what am I looking at? What are they seeing when they when they if they were to view EMDR? So there's three or four different kinds of uh, bi we call it bilateral stimulation or that movement back and forth. Um, so if you were, say, looking at a therapist and a client, the therapist would be sitting across from the client and the easiest method is to just do eye movements. Um, so I would have my fingers, I'd have two fingers and I would be going left and right and left and right. Slow stimulation is to strengthen coping skills and to strengthen adaptive skills. And then fast stimulation is to activate the body and activate the brain so that we can reprocess those memories and kind of tap into where they were stored. Um, so the, the, you would see finger movements. Um, there are also called, uh, there's a, something called a tapper, uh, which basically you hold, they kind of look like little vibrators for lack of a, a better term, but you <laughs> hold little vibrators in your hands and they buzz back and forth left and right. Um, there's also headphones. Um, so we can do like an auditory um, stimulation. And again, that's just playing tones and it alternating in each ear. 
Um, sometimes if, if the therapist is not comfortable with the finger movements, they'll actually use a light bar, um, which has a light that you follow with your eyes and kind of gives the same uh, movement as the fingers. Um, and you can actually, and the, I guess the fourth or maybe even fifth one is actually tapping the client. Um, that would be physical stimulation. Um, so you could tap, you, you would sit across from the client and hold onto their thighs and tap their thighs back and forth very quickly. And again, the, the quick stimulation is to reprocess the memories and the slow stimulation is to, um, help strengthen those more adaptive coping skills in order to be able to do the fast stimulation. Now, could you do that? Could you do the, the, the eye movement or the tappers? Could you do that via telehealth? I know a lot of mental health is done over video or phone right now. It sounds like something you have to do in person. Can you do that via telehealth? Yeah. So there's actually lots of different platforms online. Um, I'll give those to Zeb so he can kind of post them at the, with the blog, but, um, there are different platforms online that are free for practitioners. I'm actually doing some telehealth EMDR right now. Um, it's a, a little ball that moves back and forth, or you can use your headphones. Um, they actually sell tappers for the clients and the clinicians. Um, so if a client wanted to do the tappers and wanted to do EMDR, those are the little vibrators. Um, they could actually purchase a set and then the therapist is able to control them on their end. So absolutely you can do this via telehealth and you can do this in person. I wouldn't recommend doing it over the phone. Um, definitely the video component is helpful for the therapist to be able to see when the client is activated and when to, to be able to do that reprocessing though. And so to me, it sounds like hypnotism. I've been saying that since the very first time you try to describe it to me, <laughs> but it's basically like follow the clock or <laughs> follow my finger. You are being hypnotized. What's the difference between EMDR and hypnotism is what I'm asking. So EMDR uses something called the AIP model to kind of explain how it works. And I don't know if you went into that in the the um, the beginning of the podcast or not, but basically the AIP model says that the brain's natural inclination when it experiences trauma is to heal. Um, and the best way I explain it to clients is that if you have a stroke, and one part of your brain is now not doing what it was supposed to, the other part, uh, let's say the right side of the brain, typically will take over and do what the left side was doing if the conditions are correct. So that means that if we're taking medications, we're following up with doctor's appointments, we are going to rehabilitation, we're doing all those things, our brain's natural inclination, the natural way that it's going to go is to healing. It's the same thing with therapy and with trauma. So when we experience a traumatic event, a lot of times what the AIP model says is that we were not in the right conditions or didn't have the right supports or adaptive coping skills and the memories get stored in a maladaptive way, causing flashbacks, nightmares, PTSD symptoms, panic attacks, anxiety, depression, you name it, it can be caused by that. So basically what EMDR does is it makes the conditions right in order for our brain to heal. So basically when we activate someone using the eye movement or using the tactile tappers or using the auditory stimulation, what we're doing is we're putting them back into those memories but letting them know, hey, you're in a safe place and that we can go ahead and reprocess those memories in the therapy office. We're basically making the conditions right for your brain to heal. So a lot of times you'll hear an EMDR therapist say, what are you noticing? And then go with that. And that's the only exchange that happens between the therapist and the client. Um, and basically it's, it's a therapist's way of getting out of the way and saying, hey, I'm going to let your brain go wherever it's going to go, which is to heal and get better. 
So yeah, it does sound similar to hypnotism, but like I said, there's lots of science behind it. Um, and it's not. And like hypnotism is suggestive. You're telling them to do stuff right where, and even in, even in regular therapy sessions, you're almost not, not telling someone what to do, but you're, you're giving your own interpretations. Whereas EMDR, you're letting them interpret them, interpret it themselves, right? Yeah. Because it's their healing journey. I'm not the one that has to heal the trauma. They are. And, and a lot of times the client says, well, am I doing it right? And honestly, with EMDR, there is no right or wrong. Your brain's going to go wherever it's going to go, which again, if the conditions are right in the way they're supposed to be, and we have those adaptive coping skills, then it's going to go to a place of healing. And that's a process. There's eight phases to EMDR, and we take our time to make sure that you do have adaptive coping skills and supports and all those things that someone would need in order to heal trauma. And in the beginning, this um, intro that I gave, I, I, I touched a little bit on something you've talked about before, the percentage of positive outcomes compared to other specializations like CBT. EMDR just seems super high compared to those other ones. Yeah. So um, with EMDR, a lot of studies will show that up to 90% of trauma victims don't have PTSD after only a couple of sessions. Um, it's actually very helpful for the therapist and the clinician or the client because the therapist doesn't have to go through and kind of hear all those traumas and risk maybe even like secondary trauma. Um, and then the person again, doesn't have to go through and kind of reopen all of those old wounds and experience all those things that they, they maybe did when the trauma occurred. Um, I do know that when they did the training, uh, EMDR was, like I said, 90% effective. And when using, when using it as a first response for like trauma or PTSD, when using something like cognitive behavioral therapy, the effectiveness is about 50%. Again, that's as a first result for trauma or PTSD. So it's quite a difference. And again, it's, it's healthier for the client and the therapist to do EMDR because again, the therapist doesn't have to hear all of those traumatic events and risk kind of that like secondary trauma. Well, I'm a big fan of my wife not getting burned out as quickly <laughs> with EMDR, so I'm a big fan of that. And I'm a big fan of you helping me make this podcast here today. I thank you so much, Shannon. I love you. And this is episode 154 of the Who to Thunk It podcast. Um, what's that? I was just going to say, if you're interested in learning more about EMDR, uh, that Emdria website can be very helpful. I'll have Zeb post that in the blog as well. Um, Jamie Merrick is one of the the leaders in kind of doing a lot of this. She has a YouTube channel that has a lot of demonstrations about EMDR. Um, it is recommended that you do not try EMDR on yourself. If you need mental health help or you're looking for an EMDR therapist, you can find one on mtria.org. Um, but please, please do not try that to do this on yourself. It's not going to work. Um, so, but there are plenty of resources out there. Um, and if you are looking for someone, you know, like I said, check out mdria.com or .org. And I am not a mental health professional. You are, <laughs> you are licensed, but this is not, I mean, whenever I listen to Dr. Drew's podcast, he's like, I am a physician, but uh, my advice should not overtake your own physician. Mm -hmm. What's your version of that? Um, basically, yes, I am a mental health professional, but I am not your mental health professional. If you would like to find one, call your insurance company. Um, if you feel that you need mental health help, you can also call the National Institute of Mental Health, um, or you can contact your local county. But again, I am not a mental 
I'm not your mental health professional. Um, none of this is mental health advice. It's informational only. <laughs> and we are not sponsored by any EMDR thing. <laughs> I just, you, you've talked about it so much lately and it's interesting and it's m mysterious to me. So I thought it'd be cool to do a podcast about it. So thank you for listening, Huda Thunkers. Thank you, Shannon, for tuning in. And um, until next week, catch you later. Thank you.